0: Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app, where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx onyx membership onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years and i'm sure it'll be helpful for you so know where you stand with onyx
1: look y'all know the drill good optics are a must whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope vortex optics needs to be the first place you look they got something for everybody whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff they got that too they also have an unbeatable vip warranty if something happens to your vortex optic you can send it in they will fix it or replace it best warranty in the business bar none Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show.
0: Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons, and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also, an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird now if you're interested in giving meadow creek mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10 percent on your order
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. As promised, we got Mr. Drew Atkinson back on to talk all about scrapes and estrus and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Drew, how you doing?
2: Doing fine. How about you?
1: Oh, I'm doing great, man. I'm feeling good. Jacob, how are
0: you? Oh, doing well, dude. I'm, I'm doing better that we got this podcast rock and roll and get you, get you back on, Drew, because I've been uh, waiting. Uh, patiently, but also, uh, being a little impatient wanting to get you back on as quick as possible so we can have this conversation, uh, before it gets too late into October by the time this episode drops, but, um, Andrew, you, you pretty excited for it?
1: No, oh, dude, this is my thing, bro. I like scrapes. I, I love scrapes. I've had luck on scrapes. Like, it's been a focus of mine for, for years now, and, you know, a lot of people- there's like a, a divide on scrapes in the in the whitetail community, it seems like, where there's a lot of people who are like, ah, you know, don't worry about them. And then some people are just religious about them. And, uh, and I've always kind of fallen more in the middle, but I've always found it to where, like, a lot of the guys who don't pay attention to scrapes or don't have luck on scrapes, I feel like they're focusing on the wrong kind of scrape. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to you about this, because... They absolutely can work. Uh, You just have to make sure you're in the right spot in the right conditions, and and there's a lot of nuance to that. So, Drew, to get us started, can you kind of go through for us how you first got interested in scrapes and how you first kind of started figuring them out and using them to your advantage?
2: Well, you're right about that. Not all scrapes are created equal. And, man, I've hunted scrapes since I started bow hunting, basically. I mean, I have went out and done my own experiment. And that's one thing I will say, you hear a lot of stuff and you read a lot of stuff and you see a lot of stuff on scrapes about science, you know, saying this and that you need to go out and experiment for yourself and see what works in your area. Basically is the way I do it. And each deer is different too. Each deer, you know, react to scent different depending on whether it's the dominant buck in that area or he's kind of a satellite buck. So all that comes into play, but yeah, I've, And I've experimented with them ever since I've been bow hunting. And like I said before in that podcast before, it's hard to narrow things down when you've got all woods, all big ridges and all steep hillsides and benches and just a vast countryside to hunt. It's the scrapes I've keyed in on to try to get those bucks and bow range, whether it be a mock scrape or finding the right scrape to hunt. But yeah, I mean, I've... Ever since I've been bow hunting, I've experimented with them. I've, you know, set up on different ones in different type of areas. I've used scent and different ones. I've made mock scrapes where there wasn't scrapes. Just a whole plethora of things I've done with scrapes over the years of bow hunting to kind of figure out what I figured out with scraping.
1: To lay the groundwork a little bit more, can you just, not to go like super basic, but can you kind of explain maybe I, I guess very quickly, like what a scrape is, but also what differentiates two scrapes, you know, like what makes this scrape different from that scrape?
2: A lot of times you got scrape lines and when they're separating, when those bucks start busting up other bachelor groups and you get, sometimes later on in October, you can set a camera up on one level on the mountain and you'll get one or two bucks and you can set a camera up on another level and you get a different set of bucks. So those scrape lines kind of indicate where that buck's traveling when he kind of gets outside of When he expands his area, when he starts expanding off of his home early range, maybe. And some of them just stick to the core areas. A lot of mature bucks will stick more to the core areas and they'll wait a little bit later before they get out and really start making scrape lines. And a lot of times they'll just have scrapes on the outside edge of where they're actually staying and right there and where they are. If you're hunting a scrape that's a hundred yards from the one that he's actually using you may not kill him but uh yeah the scrape lines i've like i mean it's a lot of, i've had pictures of a lot of different deer using scrape lines on different levels on the mountain when they really start using scrapes And as far as the scrape goes what it is i mean it's just a deer they communicate through bodily fluids so they're putting forehead glands sending out they're putting I guess there's controversy on what actual gland produces scent, but whatever glands are producing scent, whether it be the panorbital gland or the forehead gland, nasal glands, whatever, saliva, they're working these licking branches and overhead limbs just like they would a rub with that forehead gland. And I don't know, they're putting all these scents that are basically in the head area. And then they've got the interdigital gland that's between their toes when they paw the ground. That's got a scent to it. And then they got the tarsal glands that... It doesn't really produce scent but it collects scent. And they pee down their legs and then they mark their scrape with that too. So that's kinda how they work. That's kinda what they use them for. But as far as finding these scrapes to kill a deer on, you just have to you have to experiment. You gotta get in there and you gotta just put boots on the ground and figure out exactly which scrape is gonna produce for you. Or find a place that you know is gonna be the an excellent place for a mock scrape and implement a mock scrape to kill a deer. That's kind of the way I go about it. <clears throat> That's the best explanation I've got for what a scrape actually is. It's a signpost and a, basically a communication area or spot for, for deer and those will use them too. Those will get right in the middle of them. I've, I've had lots of does come in and work scrapes. <clears throat> Drew.
0: Drew, one thing I wanted to bring up, and you just mentioned this uh, early on in that conversation of what is a scrape and, and what's the difference between one scrape to a different scrape, is the difference between like some of these scrapes you'll find on like a rub line versus like say like a, a mature buck might, might have some of his scrapes in his core area. In your area of the mountains, again, we didn't mention this early on, but some people that have heard it on our podcast know. But for listeners that don't know, you're from Arkansas, hunting a very mountainous region of Arkansas. What does a core area typically look like for a lot of your mature bucks that you see? in the mountains like what does the habitat uh, typically look like for a core area how big is a core area and how does diver- how diverse habitat wise and terrain wise does the core area have to look
2: most of the time here it's either going to be in a rougher steeper place that's not got good access to it and it's not bothered or it's going to be a thick place and like i said before in early season it'll change it'll change a little bit from early season to later but it'll be sometimes on north facing slopes in the early season, if you got food in there. And then a little bit later, they'll move more to the sunny side. They'll stay in places like that. They might go to a little bit more of the clear cut areas or the thickets. But I've had them in both. I've hunted them in both. I've hunted them in thick stuff and in rough stuff. A lot of these rocky hillsides, I think, I don't know. It's, a, it's almost like a camouflage. When they get on them, there's a lot of rocks that are exactly the same size of a deer's silhouette and body. And they just blend in with them. I've jumped so many deer on these rough rocky hillsides when I've been slip hunting and gun hunting before you can't see them until you're right up on them I mean you can't even, there's so many rocks on them you can't silhouette them so I think that's a lot of the reason why they've been sometimes on these rocky hillsides it's just they blend in so well and they feel comfortable too because like I said they're just camouflaged but early season and a little bit later when the leaves start falling it just it changes a little bit they'll move into the More extreme rough areas, and they'll move into the more extreme thicker areas. Seems like when the leaves start falling, but I mean, still between early season and mid October, I've seen them transition kind of into that that rougher stuff. And like I said, if you got a if you got food in that area, or you've got that you got that bench that leads into that rough hillside, and a lot of times that's that's where I have a lot of my luck. And uh, Little backbone points, they'll use those They'll kind of come up the side of them. I went out the other day and made a video. I found one. It's, I mean, it is a, it's an excellent spot. I'm going to go back in and hunt it. If I can figure out how to get in a tree with the shoulder, but, uh, there's a tree laying across the backbone point and it pinches them off to about a 12 yard spot. And it drops off into a drain that intersects a bench. And there's feed sign everywhere in there. There's not buck sign yet, but I guarantee you within a week, there's going to be a buck sign in there. And I'm going to be back checking. I hung a camera in there. I need to hang about three. But um, <clears throat> that's the kind of stuff I look for. And that's – they will bed in places just like that. I've seen them bed right on the tip of those backbone points before just because they can see. And I've seen them bed like right on a break of a hill where they can see down and then uh, – <clears throat> They can right behind them if the wind's blowing at their back, they'll be able to see down because they'll be able to smell what's coming behind them. They can look down. I've seen them bed out right there on the break before. <clears throat> but they'll make scrapes in these same places too.
0: Now, Drew, something else I, I've got to mention early on this episode is our last episode we did with you, which is only a few weeks ago, um, episode 512 maybe? No, it's
1: 516, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Let me double-check that.
0: Um, Andrew's going to look that up, the episode number. We just had you on. We were talking about feed trees and all that kind of stuff, and we brought up scrapes a little bit later on. And I'll say this. You made a comment that pretty much broke the internet from everything I've seen. 514. 514. So, episode 514, we we, uh, just had you on. And you mentioned that even just before season comes in or early season – When you find some of these scrapes, whether it's a script that's being worked or just a script that's got historical sign on it, like it's a script that gets used all the time, that's in an area potentially that you could either get inventory of bugs or potentially hunt it, you'll actually go out there in, you know, September and put doe estrus out, okay? And the comments we got from that were insane, okay? Uh, No negative comments. It was all all positive comments, but just guys asking so many different questions of, like, why, the how-tos. And we got into a little bit on the last episode, but I think we're going to talk a little bit more about it with some of these different scrapes in this episode. But it was fascinating, you know, getting your take on applying, you know, Doe estrus and almost getting like a curiosity uh, scent out there that these bucks are really almost like eagering to smell. They're ready to roll. It's just that you know the does are still a couple months away. And when they smell that they start daylighting more and gives you an opportunity to be able to kill bucks under, you know, some of those scrapes or around those scrapes, you know, early bow season. That being said, with like all that put in place with the doe estrus find these scrapes i want you to talk about in these areas that you hunt because i'm I'm familiar with like part of those mountains like you said a lot of it can be really rocky and some of it has very soft soils when i was up there a couple years ago i was told by some locals it's hard to find scrapes in those mountains because of how rocky the soil is would you tell would you say that is that accurate or is it just those guys don't look hard enough in order to where those scrapes typically are located in those mountains
2: yeah, it kind of – I mean, there's some places that it, it is rocky like that, and if they're going to paw the ground, they're not going to do it two or three times, but it's all rock. And even some of the mock scrapes that I've made, I mean, you'll go to digging around, and you'll hit just rock, rock, rock. I'll dig them up, basically, and I'll make a really soft spot. I'll make it – I'll pull all the rocks out of the ground, and I'll make just a – I mean, I'll pull dirt in there if I have to, just to make that spot really soft, where everywhere else it's not it's rocky. I'll make it really soft. But yeah, I have uh, I have encountered that. But most of your benches and stuff, they're soft places. I mean, you've got lots of leaf litter from year after year and decay. There's a pretty good layer in there of duff that they can turn up before they actually get to the rock, So, <clears throat> But some of those hillsides, yeah, they are, <laughs> they're bad rocky, a lot of them. But I mean, get kind of upper elevation, get on those benches those little bit wider benches sometimes. It's, they got a little bit of better, better soil on them. But uh, they'll make scrapes in the rocks, too. Like I said, it may not be as big a scrape. But, but like I said, when I'm making a mock scrape in a place like that, I'll clean it out to where it's a place they're going to want to go to. If they come by there and see it, and they come by there the next time, I want them to have it in their mind if they want to visit it. I want to make it as soft as possible where you can see tracks in it lots of dirt you know collect scent and you can go in there if you don't have a trail camera on it some of them i don't hang trail cameras on some of them i'll just go make them and then go back and look for tracks in them and then if i see what i want to see i'll put a camera on them because i've only got so many cameras to hang but yeah it is it is rocky for sure
0: now, it also, another aspect of, like, the location of some of these scrapes, and, like, the ones that you actually go and find, is there anything specifically you'll look at on, a, like, a topo map that would tell you, like, if I go hike into, like, this area based on these terrain features or these, like, compounding features where you have, you know, those backbone ridges next to one of these ditches next to, like, another secondary point comes out or anything like that that would tell you there's a higher likelihood you're going to find a scrape there versus a different random part of, like, part of those mountains?
2: Oh, Yeah. There's lots of places you can identify on topographical maps. It's, like you said, compounding features. I think I said in the first podcast, I score a spot. I'll score it on however many. If it gets up around 10, you know, there's 10 things that add up that spot that are good. It's good. If it's got like three things, it's not as good. That's kind of what I look at when I'm looking at that map. The The more I can add to get to 10 or beyond 10, as far as features, the better it is. And it could be it could be a huge flat running out and then dropping off with two big ridges coming up and a big drain between those two ridges that's got a contour break on it and if you can find like a cover change there too or a timber change there's one more thing to add to you find something like that if there's not a scrape there i'm making one but usually there is and i've had places like that i went and made scrapes and i've had a lot of luck i've killed bucks coming right to them <clears throat> there's a lot to talk about about scrapes though i mean they gosh they're controversial people say that you know deer hit them mostly at night they're nocturnal you know well they're nocturnal pretty much anyway but unless you get right in there in a buck's core area where he's going to be moving in daylight hours early season later on they'll start expanding on their range a little bit but. I wouldn't, what I would say to that is experiment for yourself. Go out there and and experiment, find different scrapes, find them in different areas, and do like I was saying, put them, if there's places where they're not, where you think they should be, or you've got those compounded features, put them in, put cameras on them. If you don't have enough cameras, do like I was telling you, make that soft dirt and keep it stirred up, or you can go in there and look for track. You see a big track in one, that's just as good as having a picture. You know it's a big buck. Go back in there and slap your camera on it later the more areas like this you can hit the better <clears throat> even if you don't have a camera on it look for that big track go back in a place that <clears throat> you scouted and you see a big track and like i said take your camera and hang on it. move them around a little bit see what you can find that's the main thing experiment with it don't believe everything that you hear you know about scraping
0: yeah i'll say this uh for listeners out here or out there, like listening or watching this podcast, because of course it is on YouTube as well, guys. Um, just because you don't, mind, just because you might not hunt in like mountainous or extremely hilly terrain, a, a lot of things that you're talking about, Drew, would apply even to flatland. It's all about compounding features and, and and habitat edges. You know, yeah, you don't have the benches, you don't have the saddles, you don't have the backbone ridges and, and a river bottom but you can find a lot of these different habitat edges coming together. Um, you know, areas with more gentle rolling hills. If you have uh, topography uh, mixed with also timber cuts, there's a bunch of different things that can still make for a really good spot just outside of just, you know, the really, really steep, nasty terrain that maybe you be, you're hunting in. Um, so I just want to mention that early on the podcast. That there's still some really good takeaways here, guys. If you're not in these mountainous areas that you can still apply some of this stuff. Um, also drew, uh, there, there's, again, there like I said, there's so much here to talk about with the scrapes, but one thing that I'm, I'm very interested in discussing on, I know probably Andrew has some te- uh, questions on this as well, is from, you know, going through September, by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be into October, the first part of October, what kind of transition are you seeing on scrapes from September to October where you're at, where t- typically you have that kind of, you know, mid to late November rut? What do you see shift-wise when it comes to scrapes? Are you seeing more daylight activity? What does that typically actually look like right now?
2: You'll start to see those scrape lines come into play more. You'll see them, you know, boom, 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 scrapes on a bench, on a ridge, on the side of a ridge, when they're expanding a little bit on their area. Right now it's just you really got to do some walking to find the sign now. But when they transition, you'll start to see scrapes and lines. Like I said, you'll see those different levels on that mountain where they'll be. You cannot. You can tell it's different bucks using them when they start to expand a little bit. And a lot of times, that's when that first cold front hits, and October is when you'll see that. And that's when you really want to pay attention to historical sign. You need if you got a history with a deer and you know he hadn't been killed the year before, you want to be in there when he's making that sign. So that's a good time to be on that historical sign where they're making those scrape lines now early it's a little bit different like I said it's you basically get tied on them and they'll make they'll make a lot of sign uh, Lane he went the other day and helped the guy track one that he shot and I told him I said you'll probably find where he's living and sure enough there was a spot that was I don't guess it was about an acre or so but it was torn all the pieces that buck let them right through when they were tracking that deer, <clears throat> and that's been you know six days ago probably when that happened. But that's what they do in the early season. That's why I say it's if you can find, if you get the right situation, the right scenario, you got a really good chance of killing a mature deer if you can get on him like that early season. But when they start expanding a little bit, when that transition happens, they'll you'll start seeing those scrapes expanding a little bit. You'll see them. You know, ranging out a little bit, you'll see those scrape lines start opening up a little bit more. We got a cold front coming here in about a week. I expect to see some of that activity. I'm hoping to see it anyway.
1: So, Drew, uh, when talking about scrapes, a lot of times you'll hear terms like primary (laughs) scrape, community scrape, or, or just other terms like that. But those are kind of the two main ones, a primary or a community scrape. Uh, what, what's your opinion on those and how do those kind of play into your, your strategy?
2: Yeah. I don't know about primary I, community. A primary would be more like a, I don't know. I think mature bucks make sometimes they make their scrape they won't necessarily come check it and clean it out, but they'll, they'll put that signpost up there and there'll be rubs around it. That really big deer that I killed a couple years ago. That's what I found on him. He came on the outside of where he was living and made a, a scrape and then had several rubs, but it was only in one spot. <clears throat> and I just, I read that sign. And I was like, man, I know it's big deer. And I found a big rub down the hill where his tines were hitting on a big white oak behind it. So I knew it was a really big deer. And I got a daylight picture of him like within three days. So I, I knew that was a mature deer. But the community scrapes, they're the ones that kind of are on the, these places that you were talking about a minute ago, these really good transitions, when these bucks really get up, and start moving, and start covering our ground, and expanding their range, they're going to come through those same areas. So that's where your community scrapes kind of originate. <clears throat> In those areas where multiple bucks are coming through to check those, or just whether it be a terrain feature where it's easier for them to travel or wind better, they're going to come through those certain areas. And, uh, check those scrapes and you'll have multiple bucks on there whereas in early season you may just have a buck or two or just one mature buck on scrape. <clears throat> but a little bit later like I said on those areas that you were talking about those compounding features that that's more of your community scrape right there where they're really starting to travel and those there's multiple bucks coming through those areas and they smell that fresh dirt they smell that scent they're going to they're going to come check it and you'll get multiple bucks hitting one great
1: so that community scrape would just be like i i've like when we've talked about it i've said it's kind of like a focal point through like a terrain feature that a lot of different deer are coming through kind of like what you just said you know it's a it's a place where different deer are going to be running into each other or passing each other or you know passing each other's scent or just whatever so there'll be a community scrape right there but you're saying the scrape lines differ from that because it'll be like a a buck or a group of bucks. And it's kind of his path of where he's walking pretty, like maybe bed to food, you know, just to be simple. Like he likes to take this path. So he's got his little scrape line and, and that's more of an individual buck versus a community scrape at, you know, getting closer to the rut. It's going to have all these
2: different bucks from all around on it. Right. Yep. Yeah. And like I said, a lot of that here is tied to how widespread your food is. It'll be in a smaller area if you got. of course, it's going to be where the food is, where the deer are going to be. But if it's, if you've got more food and it's more widespread, you're going to have a lot more of that on these transition areas and on these compounded features. You're going to have a lot more because those deer can, they can move and move and move and move and make huge rounds and never have to worry about, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to eat or not because there's food everywhere. Whereas if it's, you know, just a certain area that's hit, with acorns or whatever kind of food that you're hunting. You're not going to see that as much. They still will, but you won't see it as good. It's a lot more intense and it's a lot better when you got a widespread, widespread food across the landscape.
1: <clears throat> now, when it comes to hunting these features or these scrapes, would you say that the scrape lines are more of an early season thing where the community scrapes would be more of your pre-rut rut? kind of spot or how do you kind of tackle that
2: i've seen community scrapes kind of both it, it is more pre-rut but i have seen them early if you've got especially if you got food in one area where there's multiple there's a lot of deer in there and they're in that one area you're more apt to have a community scrape <clears throat> but yeah i've definitely seen a lot more community scrape activity if that's what you want to call it about as good a term as you can use for it in the pre rut on those compounded features Mm -hmm. and like i said i a lot of times there don't even have to be one there if there's travel sign there and i can tell there's deer been coming through there and there's not a scrape i will put one there i will put a scrape there every time i'll stir that ground up i might put two or three in I like the beach too, like I mentioned the beach several times. It holds its leaves, you know, all the way through the winter and then pushes them off in the spring. It just creates a cover for those deer and they got low hanging limbs on them that they love to scrape on. So I just love to get in those areas where you got a lot of beach, especially if it's a transition where it's more open and then you got pretty thick beach. You can get just on the inside of that. Sometimes it's on a brake line. Sometimes it's off a little bench where a secondary runs down. But I'll always look right there because they love those low hanging limbs on those beats and they like to travel it because it's covered, you know, all winter. And they like to scrape under it because it has low hanging limbs. So I key in on that pretty heavy when I'm looking for scrapes in the early season and the pre run.
1: So, what about? uh actually hunting over maybe more specifically a scrape line i'm really curious about that because that's that's something that i've never really had confidence in like i've always found scrape lines and probably a lot of people can relate especially you know if you live in alabama or georgia and you live in timber country and and you're walking down an old logging road or something like that is textbook scrape line you know habitat right there like you're gonna find scrapes going down an old logging road uh how do you like to set up and and hunt that and how do you know when it's time to hunt something like that
2: i heard one guy on your podcast say one i don't remember which one it was i think he brought it back he called it negative terrain Mm -hmm. a lot of those a lot of those scrape lines are in your negative terrain they're hitting them at night they're hitting them after dark if you find that isolated scrape that's down over the hill a little bit or on the side of that ridge or back in that thicket those are the ones you're probably going to have a better chance of killing a mature buck on. <clears throat> a lot of those, I'll tell you this, I've hung cameras on lots of scrapes, and I kind of hang them to where I can see where I've got the most open ground. It's not always on the downwind side, but you have no idea how many of these bucks do not come to these scrapes, but they go 12 to 15 yards of them and wind them and go around them. A ton of bucks do that. Well, I killed that big one, I passed a really good one up my bow. I wanted to shoot him. I thought it was the big one when I seen him. But he came up, and you can see him on the video. He wended that scrape and made a U and went right around it. I've had pictures on that, on that same scrape and many others of bucks doing the same thing. You'll just get them in the distance coming around that scrape. <clears throat> I have seen, I don't know how many deer do that from the stand. And I don't know if it's that. Uh, If there's a dominant buck that has made that scrape and they know him by his scent and they want to swing around it because they don't want to, they smell that and they just go downwind of it or they just going downwind of it to wind it and decide whether or not they're going to come check it out or not. But I've just seen, I don't know how many do that. And even at night I'll get them off in a distance. They'll never come work the scrape, but you'll just catch a glimpse of horn and deer coming in the background going around the street. <clears throat> I'm just kind of winding
1: it. <clears throat> So you just mentioned uh, Josh Driver's episode. So originally that was episode 141 and we just brought it back two or three weeks ago and it's called find and hunt a core, a bucks core area with Josh Driver. And that's where that whole negative terrain term came from. And uh, that essentially for like anyone who maybe hasn't heard that episode yet, it's, Describing negative terrain is the terrain where deer aren't spending time during daylight. So that's your negative terrain. Your positive terrain is where they are spending time in daylight. Um, so, Drew, I'm curious, uh, what is negative terrain to you? What, what's it look like to you?
2: The very top of the ridge, the wide open where there's absolutely no cover, and there's absolutely no reason for a deer to come through there. I'm not, I say a deer, I'm a mature deer. <clears throat> Where he doesn't have an escape route, basically, and he doesn't feel comfortable traveling. That's how I would define it here. I think here, a lot of it's escape route for them. They like to travel, like I talked about before, on these steep contours. I think that's just something that Mother Nature built into them, that they can drop over that hill when they're spooked, you know, and nothing... When they get on those steep hillsides, they're not bothered a lot because there's just not a lot there to bother them, especially as far as human you know, traffic. So anytime you get off on the edge like that or on the edge of something thick or something where they can disguise themselves a little bit, that's more of the positive terrain here in the mountains. <clears throat> not to say they won't break and come out across if they got a do. All things change whenever the rut kicks in, but... Like I said, I think in the first podcast, I've seen butts walk in some really weird places. I mean, you think man, there's, you'll see them walk in places you never thought they would have walked. And that's a lot of times, you know, I've hunted in places where I have went in there and found a good spot on the map and I'm in there hunting, but, uh, I see a mature deer. I see butt movement, you know, just down the hill a little ways from where I'm hunting, it's not where you would think they'd actually travel. And I end up having to move there just cause I've seen these deer moving. there. <clears throat> so that's my experience with that as far as the negative and positive mm-hmm. terrain, not to say they won't come across it, but that's the rut. That's more of a rut thing. And like in the bottoms and stuff where you get a lot of sign where people try to hunt, you do find a lot of sign down there, but I, I think I said the first time on that, I don't, I try to stay away from that in the mountains. I try to stay away from the really low spots if I can. And I get up on the hills a little bit. I get at the heads of those drains at the, or those ridges play out. And there's a little bowl there. You'll have does coming one way, and the bucks will be coming another. They'll be crossing. They'll intersect, you know, whenever the rut starts, even the pre-rut. You'll see them traveling kind of like that. You'll see the does traveling one way, they might come right down a ridge, they'll go right across the flat, they'll be out in the wide open, and the buck he'll be just offset just a little bit. Seems like every time. Unless it's the rut and he's right on the dope.
1: Okay. Now, uh, so it sounds like you're you're more focused on the scrape lines that are gonna be in your your thicker, rougher areas, like not in that negative terrain, not in the wide open woods. Uh, it actually brings to mind a spot that me and you were talking about earlier today that, that I'm thinking about hitting when Alabama opens up here in a two weeks uh, that actually sets up real similar to that where it's it's a mountainous area of the state and you walk through some woods that are just wide open to get there. And it's like a mile of walking through a desert. I mean, there's nothing. There's no rubs. Like We just didn't find – we found some punch holes and stuff in the leaves, but that's it. But then once you start getting a little bit further up the mountain – there was a a small drain kind of going up into some really steep terrain. And that little drain had some big white Oaks on it, some big red Oaks. And right there down along the Creek, which is a little dry Creek bed, there was whip rubs and there was little scrapes going up. Um, So that's like more of your speed of of what you're talking about. Targeting is maybe getting out of those open woods and then, okay, here's a, here's a a low spot that's hidden that goes up into some rough terrain. That's got this kind of buck sign on it.
2: Yeah. Unless it's early season. Like I said, early season, it's kind of different. You can, you'll find them in a little different areas. But if a big mature deer is traveling like that and going on a big run, he knows, he knows where to walk and not encounter, you know, somebody or he would have already been dead. They just, they travel a little bit different terrain. And whether it be off, you know, 60 yards, 80 yards, it's, it's a little bit different spot usually where they're traveling I heard a lot of people say you can see the paint buck trails I guess you can, I have seen some of that on the sides of ridges where you're dropping off into drains where they take the low side, I found a spot like that last year, I went in and tried to kill some deer that I had on camera the year before and uh, never could catch up with them so I just started moving cameras in there and I was getting finally got some daylight pictures but there was a trail that did just that it was a faint trail and it, it hung really low and it was in the beach and it stayed down on the side of that ridge. There was a scrape line up on the side of the ridge, but there was another scrape line down low and it went right through the beach, right through the thick cover and stayed and hugged a little small bench that went on the side of that ridge all the way back down into the next drainage down there to where it crossed out whenever it went, went wherever it went after that. But I hung a camera there and on the, basically on the contour break, on the side of that ridge. And it was kind of open, but there was some real good sign there. I just wanted to see what I could get all nighttime. Every single one of them are nighttime pictures. I had some pretty good deer on it, but all of them were night. So I went uh, on the other side of the mountain and found another spot that was a lot thicker that came off of a knob. And it was a flat that intersected a knob with a big drain coming up. There were some ditches that kind of ran across that flat. That were two, three foot deep, maybe. bunch of ash trees in there, and very few oaks. But there was a black oak that was hitting right there, and it was actually a feed tree because I had turkeys and I had like seven different bucks coming to that one black oak tree in the time that I had that camera there. And uh, I'd say at least half of the pictures of the bucks were daytime, but it was uh, right on the edge of a bunch of thick stuff or they were coming around this knob and working their way around the head of that drain and going around that mountain <clears throat> or it was open on the other side. A lot of good sign over there, but it was not sign; It wasn't day sign. It was not. Only problem was with it, I couldn't find a place to hang a stand. The tree that was producing the acorns or the black oak was really the only one to hang in. It was too tight. And the other one was just a gum tree that had about three forks in it, four forks. So I ended up I ended up on the ground, I went there two times and hunted it. I saw a buck the second time I hunted it and had the pictures, all the other ones I was talking about, but I just had to move to that other side and get next to the thick. It was compounding features is what it was. And there was that one tree there that was dropping. That was different. There was a few white Oak in there, not like the year before there was enough to keep deer in there, but that tree there was loaded. That one black Oak was, and there was a, there was an old scrape there i cleaned the scrape out expanded it and cleaned the dirt out and i opened it up real good and uh, that's where i got pictures of all the deer out there probably going back to hunt that spot this year if there's acorns in there i hadn't checked it yet
0: <clears throat> drew i've got to ask you know and this is kind of a two-part question but the first part of this question what kind of scrape and activity would you need to see in order to go sit a scrape the first two weeks of October?
2: First two weeks of October, you're talking more like a, you might be looking more of a core area, like kind of that hard thing to find. When you do find it, everything lines up. If you know that you're in that 10 to 15, 20, 25 acre spot that he's using, and you find fresh scrapes in there and there's multiple scrapes and they're not just going cold and you're seeing fresh tracks in it pretty consistently. That's when I'm going to key in and hunt that. I'm going to hunt it pretty hard. And depending on what I find, you know, how deep I go in there, I hear a lot of people talking about hunting the beds. I have never been able to, there's a few times where I know we're right where a buck's bedding, but it's usually it's more, it's a bigger, a little bit bigger area. And I hate to push too deep, I mean I know you can maybe get out with spooking them a time or two, but I don't like to spook them at all if I can keep it, I just don't, these mountain deer up here, like I told you before in the podcast before I spooked that big one, that thing freaked completely out when I spooked him, he was watching me walk and he snorted and I turned my head and saw him and I heard his horns crashing through the timber for at least 100, 150 yards. and. That deer never showed back up for, (laughs) it was a while, two weeks. But he still bedded in that area. He just moved over to the other side of the mountain. It was just off on the other side a little bit. So I hate to, I don't know, these deer up here in the mountains, I try to keep from spooking them. And I've had a lot of luck with the scrapes hunting more kind of on the edge of where I think they are. If I find that fresh sign, I'll try to get, you know, right there, if I find a fresh grape, I consider that good. And I hang a camera on it and I get a daylight picture of him, I consider that good. I'm not going any further after that. I mean, that's just, why would you? You're just chancing. That's, there's no sense in going any further. You might as well just be as quiet and as stealthy and ease in there and, and try to kill him on that when he's on his feet. And he may not be moving 200 yards. I mean, you could be. 150 yards of him, you could be 300 yards of him, but <clears throat> I try not to push in any further than that. I'll try to get right there and, and hunt when I find that sign. A lot of times it'll be multiple scrapes you'll find three or four or five under one tree. And that'll be a lot of times it's under cedar trees with the low hanging limbs. It'll be under beech trees, anything that's got a good low hanging limb on it <clears throat> and the compounded features and early season like that it's it kind of comes into play but it's that's more of a pre-ret thing but it definitely you just got to put the boots on the ground and get in there and find that really 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 good sign that he's hitting you know not just once he's hitting more than once and you can actually get a daylight picture of the deer and they're on it to kill him
0: if you're getting a buck on camera the first two weeks of october on a scrape during daylight hours From what you're saying, it seems like you're going to be fairly close to that core area if you're catching, especially multiple times in daylight on a scrape um, in that first two weeks of October. What other sign – you've kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but I just want to kind of reiterate. What kind of sign will tell you, other than the daylight activity, that it's a, a mature buck's core area in there? I mean, is it going to be just completely trashed at this time of the year?
2: Most of the time when they make that sign like that, it'll be a mature buck. And then I said before that twisted, if you find a lot of that twisted stuff where it's really aggressive and he's went in there and I mean, he's worked his neck muscles and he's, you see stuff laying on the ground, especially, you know, above the scrape. If he's went out, you know, 10 or 12 yards there and twisted a bush and it's laying there on the ground, probably a mature deer more than likely. Not every time, but more than likely it's probably, probably a mature deer if you find that. And then the track, I mean, you can look at the track in the scrape and see that a lot of times. And the mock scrapes that I make, like I said, I dust them up real good, whether it be dry or moist soil. And I look at those tracks and uh, if I don't have a camera on them, I look at the track too see how big the track is. <clears throat> a lot of it's history too. If you really want to do good on scrapes, go out and scout the year before or even the year before that and find a buck and find where he's using and if year after year after year you got a good enough food source in there to hold that deer chances are he's going to do about the same thing unless he's totally disrupted and i kind of build an archive you know of different bucks like that and i go back to them that one i've got now that i told you about when we were talking before we started i've got him archived from last year and he's already daylighting but uh two scrapes in there is all I found just two. And I made the scrape that uh, they were using when I got the daylight picture of them. And, uh, I just got a good feeling about it. I'm going to go back in there on this cold front and see if I can't kill that deer. But, uh, like I said, if I can get in and out of the tree, but I definitely, it's the archiving and looking back from year to year, is big time and that goes back to the experimenting with them experimenting with the scent and experimenting with how they're hitting them with the moon too look at the moon phase when they're working these scrape lines that's big time i've got one pattern from last year it's unbelievable how that thing it was on a scrape line that the thing was using but it's more in that positive terrain where the scrape line is. A big buck's gonna feel comfortable traveling through there on where the scrape line is. But it, I can't even believe how that thing was traveling with the moon on that particular scrape line. You may go a week and not get a week and a half, and not get a picture of this deer. But when the moon lines up, boom, 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 he's there every time. <clears throat> I've got a camera in there. I haven't caught him yet this year on camera, but I'm I'm gonna go back probably this weekend and check it and see if I can get him. I hadn't seen a whole lot of mast in there. So a lot of acorns. there's beach in there. I think that'll be enough, but it may just, it may take a little time, but I'm definitely going to be checking that area because that deer out there, I cannot believe how he patterned himself with the, with the lunar tables. It was unbelievable.
1: to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast.
0: As deer seasons come to a close for most of us in the Southeast, this is when you really got to start paying attention when we start getting these warmer temps for a lot of these insects. It was actually kind of crazy. We were out hunting a couple weeks ago with the dogs and we got into a bunch of ticks in a day that it was just two days before everything was froze up and iced up. But make sure you're protecting yourself and your family with sawyers. Everything from the best insect repellents, especially their deep products, but also the precaritin products for protecting yourself from ticks, mosquitoes, all kinds of flying insects as well, but also their water filtration devices, first aid kits, and more Sawyer's has you covered. You can pick up Sawyer's products from a lot of your sporting goods stores, whether you have a local sporting goods store or one of the big box stores like a Bass Pro Shop, or even like a Walmart, you can pick up your Sawyer products from there. Again, we've truly enjoyed using Sawyer products. And again, as we head into the springtime, it's gonna be more and more important, especially with the insect repellents, to make sure that you're well protected going into this springtime. So give Sawyer's a chance going into this turkey season. You know, we've had a a legendary outdoor store here in Birmingham
1: called Mark's Outdoors for the last 40 years. Family owned and operated, absolutely a staple in the hunting community here. And we're excited to announce that they have gone national with their e commerce. So, no matter where you're at, you can go get access to all the awesome gear and awesome deals at marksoutdoors.com. We got a link in the description for them. They've actually got some of our favorite ammo. They have an excellent ammo selection, excellent knife selection, excellent firearm selection. Y'all can go check them out, you won't be disappointed. Everything you need from apparel, archery, firearms, ammo, reloading, gun cleaning, and fishing. They have an unbelievable fishing department. And hey, if you are local or if you're passing through Birmingham, drop on into Marks Outdoors. Head on over to the bow counter to Mark and Robbie and tell them that we sent you. Once again, that's Marksoutdoors.com, or you can go hit the link in the description of this podcast to check them out.
0: True Lock Chokes has been around since 1981 and still a family-owned operation from the great state of Georgia. True Lock makes every choke configuration you could imagine for any kind of wing shooting hunting application but also going to the skeet and trap range going into this turkey season me and andrew are going to be shooting the new head hunter series chokes from trulock and also going to be trying out our buddy dave owens Pinotti chokes from the Pinotti project this is an awesome family-owned operation guys that is building all their chokes right here in america right out of georgia if you're looking for a new choke this spring, give Truelock a try. And you can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 10% on all your orders. So y'all go support this awesome local Southern company and give Truelock a try. And we appreciate Trulock's support of the Southern Outdoors and Podcasts. We're going to get into that in this episode. I want to get to that in a little bit. Um, as a, a follow-up to that part one question about what you do the first two weeks of October, you know, when it comes to sign and scrapes, the last two weeks of October – what do you need to see in order for you to be confident going in there and killing a buck specifically when you're targeting a scrape?
2: More of those. That's probably when you would look more for that community scrape and that with that compound feature and go in there and hang a camera on it. You got multiple bucks starting to show up on it. Then you better be there. Even if it's small bucks, if you got multiple small bucks starting to hit or two and a half year olds, 18 month old deer, If they start showing up, it's usually not long after that, the more mature deer start hitting those type of scrapes. So, but you can't really miss it. You got to be in there in that time to kill them. I mean, you can't, sometimes it means going in there and drilling down and hunt and just passing up all those smaller bucks and even some decent bucks until that magical time happens when that big buck does come through there. And when he does travel through there and expands on his area if that community scrape or that signpost is out there, he may or may not come check it, but I want something that's close to a signpost or I want something that I've made or something that a deer's made close to me when I'm hunting those type areas, when I think mature deer are going to be expanding and moving. <clears throat> Cause like I said, you got, you got to narrow them down. You got, if you're bow hunting, you got to get them close to you, but that's, that's the best time to hunt those. And that's what you got to look for. And that's, you don't want to miss it, though, because once that kicks over into the, you know, those starting to come in, then that's, things can get pretty unpredictable at that point. You can still hunt those funnels and transitions, but, man, when you're bow hunting like that, it's, you can't hardly stop the buck to shoot them. It's just like they just come flying through, and <laughs> you'll see them. They might be in bow range, but you got to be like 10 wells and shoot them 40 yards running.
0: Drew, look, I, well, I should have opened up the interview with this, but as a bow hunter, what do you like about focusing on hunting scrapes, specifically in the mountains for opportunities?
2: You've got a good chance. If a deer doesn't come and hit the scrape, you've got a good chance if you're hunting close to the scrape and getting in bow range of that deer. Like I was talking about the ones that even don't come hit it, but they come around it. You still, They're still going to come investigate whether or not they come to that scrape or not. So it just gives you a better chance to be able to have that opportunity with a boat. If you're in there hunting on it, like I said, in the evening, a lot of times they'll travel below them where you got the thermals pulling down. I've seen that a lot where boats kind of come underneath them, and I kind of tend to hang on the lower side of them, Just to, and it may not be 15, 16 yards, but... A lot of times, I'll I'll try to hang on the lower side. I do a lot of eating it. I try to get on the lower side of it to uh, catch those deer that might not come to it but might be winning it. It's a game of yards. you got to figure out how to put yourself in the best place to get that shot. <clears throat> but scrapes, I mean, they can be complicated. I mean, you can get too much in the weeds on them, but if you just think about it you know think about what you're doing think about how the deer are going to travel think about how they're going to use the wind and like i said in the mountains up here it's it's frustrating at this i mean there's so many places they can they can go it's just really hard to narrow a big buck down like that really big one i killed a couple of years ago I knew that deer was coming through there. I didn't have a ton of pictures of that deer on that scrape, but I knew, I knew the deer. I knew where the deer was living, at least most of the time. I know he went on some rounds. There was a guy that had a video of him, supposedly, that was way, way from where where I killed this deer. But I knew that deer was coming through about a 75, 80 yard area right there. And it didn't matter to me whether he was hitting that scrape or not because I actually saw that deer twice. I saw him before I killed him. And I saw him the day I killed him. And I had like maybe three pictures of that day. But that was enough. I knew. I knew he would be coming out of that area and I didn't know I think it just kind of depended on the wind on how he would come out of there. Or whether or not he would come out on that side I was on, or he would come out another side or how he would travel. I think for the most part he stayed in there. But <clears throat> I know good and well. And I killed him. Like I said, he came out a little bit low, kind of like I thought he was doing. And like I've seen a lot of bucks doing there. There's a drain came up and there was a bowl right there at the head of it. He, he came out kind of right in that bowl is where he came down the hill and crossed and went out. So it was, that didn't surprise me. That's why I picked up the gun and went in there and hunted that deer. Because I, I mean, I thought chances of killing him actually on this scrape are pretty slim but I know he's coming around that scrape somewhere and that was only I think I only found two scrapes in there I'm sure in there where he was living there was tons of scrapes but and I don't know he'd been horning in there because he probably horned a quarter inch of mass off his horns where he'd horn hardwood trees there was just I mean big old gaps down there where he'd horned so much and I wasn't finding that sign so I know he was doing it in there where he was living Most of the time, like I said, I was just on the outside edge of it. I was patient and uh, a lot of those other bucks started coming through there and they would cruise and I had a couple bucks come hit that scrape that I passed up and then I saw a few others that didn't come to it. And I think that's actually what got him up out of there and moving is those other bucks coming in that area. I think that got him. Because right before I killed him, I had a picture of him re reworking that scrape after dark on a full moon, I believe, when the moon was overhead at night. He was back in there working that scrape.
0: <clears throat> all right. We've got to get into a very, uh, <clears throat> you said a controversial conversation, but uh, I, I want to talk about moon phase, lunar phase, lunar position, all that kind of stuff. Um it's funny how often this comes up with very successful hunters that we interview of how they see a very tight pattern, specifically with overhead underfoot moon positioning with, you know, bucks on their feet, covering some ground and daylighting. Um, I will preface this because I can already hear the messages coming on YouTube. (laughs) I can hear the emails (laughs) coming in that there is no scientific data that moon phase has any effect on overall deer movement. And uh, we've had already a, we, this has been brought a few different times this summer, and uh, of course we always get the same messages every single time. But I, I want to bring this up with you, Drew. Of like this is something I know you believe in. You've seen your personal evidence on it. Uh, this is something that we're trying to focus on more so as well, and kind of seeing how you know trail cam data and everything kind of lines up with some of this. But I want to kind of get your take on what about whether it's moon positioning or the actual phase of the moon, um, in your opinion, affects deer movement. And what have you personally seen through some of your trail cam data along with actual, you know, in the field hunts of of how this is kind of correlated?
2: Mostly positioning. Pretty much. Unless you're talking about like the rut, you know, the second full moon and the autumn equinox after the equinox kicking off the rut. That's debatable too. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's positioning, and each situation is different with each deer. If it's early season, if you're way off of that core area, you got cameras up on an old scrape out there that he's made, you know, but he's not going to come back and check, and you're not in that core area, then it really doesn't have that much effect, because he's, he's getting up and moving in that tighter area. So if you're... If you're hunting later in October and more in that pre-rut time, then that kind of comes in more to play on the scrape lines and when they're expanding a little bit. They seem to get out and make those longer runs on those different lunar positions. Whether it be a rising moon, moon overhead, underfoot, I don't know. I've, I've looked back and I've seen some of that, but it's mainly like on that if it's up at night. you got a full moon in the middle of the night then you've got movement in midday the next day. I've seen scrape activity, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock the next day. I've seen that when it's been overhead at night. But I like the rising moon, and I like the moon overhead. That's been pretty consistent. And then uh, that buck last year, it was, he was like, it was crazy on the minor times. If it was a minor, if it was a rise or a set, that joker was working that scrape line in the daylight <clears throat> there was a one time where we had a moon where he worked it at uh, like 11 o'clock 10 where he came through where it was it's funny because he came through that night and worked it when the moon was overhead and then he came back through in mid-morning or closer to noon and worked it again the very next day that same buck i could have killed that deer last year easily I had other deer I was after. I didn't want to go in there and hunt him. I'm hoping CWD didn't wipe him out. I'll go back in there this year. and Like I said, I've got a camera in there now, but I couldn't believe it. I was showing people on my phone. I would take screenshots you know, of the lunar tables and show how he was moving with them. Was, it was pretty fascinating, actually. I've had more than just that buck, though. Do it. It's a little bit more inconsistent than he is, but I've had him. Especially when you got, you know, good cool temperatures and you got good widespread mass crop and you've got, you know, it's fixing to kick off. And you get that lunar table, you get any kind of a you get any any time, any kind of a good move time on there, they will get up and start hitting those scrape lines and start moving and hitting running through all those compounding features. You get multiple bucks coming different directions. I mean it's it definitely, definitely, definitely has an effect on it. People that don't believe it, well, they can just keep not believing it. I guess <clears throat> it'll. They can be behind in that game. I'm on. I'm gonna check it. I'm gonna check it every time. I'm gonna be in the tree every time that lines up too. I'm gonna be in the tree, even if the weather's not right. The weather, the weather comes into play with it. If it, if it factors in with it, then it, of course it's even better. But like I said, I've seen, I've had pictures of them on bad days where it's been hot and no wind blowing and the moon will be right. I'll be dang if that thing ain't standing in a creek. You go back and look, you can go back and look at picture after picture after picture. It's just something that if you're a bow hunter, you definitely, definitely better be keeping track of it. It ain't going to work all the time. It's not going to work every time, but I would definitely be comfortable playing the odds with it for sure.
1: So where do you, out of curiosity, where do you get your, your like lunar tables? Like, are you just looking at an online source or do you have something, something else that you're using to kind of keep track of it?
2: Best Times to hunt.net. That's where I get mine. That's where I go to <laughs> kind of look at it. Okay. And I'll just, when I don't have service, I'll just take screenshots on my phone of basically the whole month. And then that way I can sit there in my stand and study a little bit, think about it while I'm sitting there. Go back and look at pictures that I've saved on my phone while I'm sitting there, <clears throat> because most places you don't have service up here in the mountains. Very few places where you can actually go online and look at that stuff. <clears throat> so I just take screenshots of it.
1: So do you? So I mean, it sounds like you you put the moon before a lot of things, maybe even including weather. So like, let's say out a, like out a, of a hypothet hypothetical, you've got a really good moon phase or a, or, or moon position. So you got a really good moon, moon position, but it's like really hot or something, just crappy weather. Are you adjusting and saying, okay, well the, the moon is good, so they should move, but the temperature's bad. So maybe that's going to kind of stifle it. So I need to be even closer to his bedding. Or does it not matter?
2: Usually I'm already set up where I'm going to be set up, so it doesn't matter. But uh, I'm not going to miss that day if I can keep from it. I'm going to be in there hunting. But the same goes for weather, too. I said it before. You get a weather change up here on the mountain, and you don't have the moon, and it's been several days of nothing but dry and hot, and you get that weather change. I'm going to be in the stand then, too. I'm not going to miss that day if I can keep trimming. Because those bucks I told you about on the WMA over there that I got those three big ones, that's that's what that was on. It was on just strictly a weather change. Low pressure system, light rain, fog. It got those mature deer moving that day. And I've had, there's been so many hunts that I've had like that where mature deer have moved on days like that. And I've either killed one or seen one. But the moon too, yeah. I mean I've had some really old mature deer up here that we've hunted for years and it was a terrible day and I ended up going to work and I worked that day and the the thing showed up exactly in line with the lunar tables and it was a that's why I went to work. It's a bad day. It was just hot still and it was like I think it might have been late October, October twenty eighth, I think it was. When that deer came through and hit that scrape. <clears throat> I had to stand there. I wasn't there. I was only—I think—I only had two pictures of that deer on that scrape, and uh, my dad ended up killing that deer later. It was like eight years old, big old deer, small body but big horns. But uh, that's the perfect example of it right there. But that deer was kind of weird. I mean, it was—it was hard to really figure him out. But I did have a couple different years where I had pictures of him on times where you wouldn't think deer would be moving. But then you go back and look, and it was a good move time. Whether it be moon overhead or <clears throat> moonrise, whatever it was. <clears throat> I don't remember. I have to go back and look at the pictures. He was definitely moving. It coincided with a, some kind of a move time on that lunar table.
1: So what is uh what would be like a well actually no let me rephrase what I was going to say uh when it comes to the moon phase are you just kind of chasing that that overhead you know pro- i guess that's your major feeding time so if it falls at, at 1 p.m. you're hunting midday or you know just what like if it if it falls at 11 a.m. then you're you're going to hunt through the morning and and through midday and you're just kind of focusing your hunts around that or are you still primarily hunting morning and evenings and just the days where uh that overhead or underfoot lines up with you know dawn or dusk that that just amplifies it and makes it that much better
2: it does amplify it and make it that much better on the rising and setting but it's if you don't have a buck that you're hunting i'm gonna be out on every good move time i can on a place that i think is gonna be the best but like i said you got to experiment if you're hunting a particular deer with it and see how he's moving with it. Like that one I had last year. And a lot of it depends on, you know, how close you are to him or how far he's moving, but you kind of got to experiment with that. If you're hunting a particular deer, whereas if you're going out and hunting, you know, just going out and hunting on a good move time, it's a little bit different on a particular deer, unless he's like really moving, which mature deer and he's kind of got his own area like that one last year it was he definitely set up a pattern <clears throat> and i just studied that and kind of followed it like i said i didn't go in there and honey i wasn't going to kill that deer last year but again that goes back to the archive and you go out put the boots on the ground and find you a deer like that and if hunting hunters don't kill him or cwd doesn't kill him or a car doesn't kill him or whatever doesn't kill him and he makes it through And nothing has changed a lot in there from that year to the next year. A lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, you can almost bank on some of the same type behavior for sure. I had one one time in January. It was a big old deer. That thing hit the screen. I think it was three years in a row. I'd have to go back and look within three days of the same day and within like an hour or hour and a half of the same time, hit the same scrape three years in a row in January, the same buck. And I was tagged out. Of course, didn't go in there and hunting, but it was unbelievable to me that I was like, okay, well, all I'd have to do is go in there and drill down and hunt three days. I killed that deer. He's using that same area. I don't know. That was, Quite a while back i don't know what the moon was or if he was doing that with the moon of course it shifts from year to year but i just know during that time of year that deer it was within three days of the same day and within an hour and a half of the same time in january that that thing came back and hit the same scrape the same buck
1: yeah and that kind of goes to show like how important it is to keep building that that inventory and make sure you got cameras out I, and i was talking to uh a friend of mine who's also a listener and and I I was telling him, he was thinking about starting to hunt some public land over here near us and branching out from his private. And he was asking me what he should do. I'm like, man, just go put cameras out. And, and I told him, I was like, man, go find some community scrapes. If you can throw some cameras on them and just forget about them and go get them in February,
2: you know, and and get that data. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's times where you want to let them soak. You can learn so much by letting them soak you're going after a particular deer, you might want to move. Do a lot of moving, a lot of shaking up, hanging them here and hanging them there. But, yeah, I've got some. I'll leave them year-round. I'll watch. I'll study. And I'll compound all that information. It may be turkey season before I go back in there and get that camera. But I'll go back in there and I'll look at it. And then before the next deer season, I'll start looking and seeing. I'll pull those cards back out and I'll see what was going on throughout the year and see if there's anything in there worth going back and hunting or not <clears throat> sometimes though, those bear I mean they don't go into hibernation when they're supposed to and I don't know what it is with truck cameras they, they get them is all I can say <laughs> <clears throat> I had to put mine back up just the other day I had that on a scrape one came up there and I looked walked back in there to check it and it was gone it was laying there on the ground that picture is a two sitting there looking at it i don't know if they can smell the batteries in it or what they're smelling but i put it up a little higher i put it up six seven feet off the ground but yeah i'll leave mine out not all of them but i'll leave a lot of them out especially if it's a place i'm thinking about going back and hunting the next year or if i've got a good buck in there that i'm thinking might get by and i want to try in the next year uh
1: drew i want to kick it back also to earlier in the conversation and it might have been before we started recording but me and you were talking and uh we're we're recording this on september 29th so you guys just opened up here recently in arkansas and i believe you told me that you've already got a nice deer showing up on scrapes right now uh can you talk a little bit about finding that deer and kind of his situation
2: yep it's on a contour break it's really steep below That's where these two bucks are bedding. You know, I told you before, a lot of times they run in pairs. These bucks are running in pairs, except it's not a young buck. I think they're both the same age. The eight-point might be a two-year-old or a three-year-old, and the ten-point might be a four-year-old. Not sure, but uh, I'm definitely going back in there and hunting. I found two scrapes in there. I'd been out looking for a lot of sign. I'd found feed sign in a lot of places and found some good stuff to go hunt. I hadn't to find a buck sign, but I went in there and I found buck sign. And the scrapes were actually up above coming out of a pine stand from where I had pictures of these deer. But they were really fresh. This had been a week or so ago. And uh, that kind of got me excited. And I went down there to where I'd made a mock scrape where this buck had twisted the bush last year and twisted them off and they were on the ground. It was a really aggressive sign right there on that contour break. So... I went in there and there wasn't a scrape there was zero sign and i didn't push in any further but i didn't see any last year there was rubs this time there wasn't rubs this year i saw a little bit of lack of acorns in there i think a lot of them are still hanging i don't think they fell because i when i was in there today i heard the uh some acorns falling i heard some squirrel cutting on them so i know there's a few in there but anyway there was not any sign right there where I'd had my camera last year, so I went ahead and made two mock scrapes. And uh, I went back and checked it. Sure enough, I had both those bucks in there. The eight point first, he was up there hitting the licking branch, and I could see the 10 point back behind me, in the in the beach standing there, back behind the eight point. And then he came on up and worked the scrape and got right in front of the camera, and had a good picture of it, and it was daytime. It was uh, seven o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> then after that, I don't know what happened because the bear came in there and phew, knocked it right off the dang tree.
1: <laughs> oh man,
2: I was aggravated. I was thinking dead, gumming, I want to see how much that deer grew and see what he's doing this year. And the cameras, out. luckily enough, though I had it, it stayed up long enough. I at least got the got the picture. I don't know how many more times they came in there, but I did. I did have them in daylight, at seven o'clock in the morning
0: did you have any scent out in that scrape man you just golly, I was setting that up you stole my question
2: <clears throat> didn't put any scent out in that one but i put some out in another one that i made where i found all that feed son i put some out in that one basically that was just fresh dirt i stirred it up really good and then uh, broke a limb down or they could come through there and basically smell that dirt i figured since they hit that so much last year, I was going to go ahead and just put it in the exact same spot. I put one in the exact same spot and then I offset one about maybe six, eight yards from the main one that I had in there from last year. I still got the scent wick and everything hanging off of it. The next time I go in there, I'm probably going to put scent in it because I'm probably going to hunt it the next time I go in there. We got a, me and Lane went in there and put a tree stick up this evening that I can climb with the shoulder. I think I can get in there, and uh, and it may take a while. I think I can kill that deer, but like I said, it's I I feel like he's probably going to come below me right there and try to win. If it's in the evening, I think he's going to come below me and try to win and come around. That's great, but in the morning, I don't know. I, the pictures I had of them, they were coming right around that break. But I think they actually came up the steep hillside and then topped out on the break and came around. I don't know that. That's just what I'm thinking. But I had pictures of them working their way to that scrape. I had that camera set like on a really low interval where it would take lots of pictures. So I've got them as they're coming to that scrape. So I know kind of where they came from.
1: So, so I, now i want to get into this man i was setting that up and you just totally took my question so where where does the estrus work into all this so how do you go about using estrus and how do you know what is the right situation to use that estrus in
2: like i said before you kind of gotta put it out see how they react to it when you get it out in that scrape, put that camera on there put it on a low interval or put on video mode i don't put it on video mode but Use up too much space in my cards. But send it at a pretty low interval and, and see what he does. See if the buck that comes and works it actually spends a lot of time in it and works his tarsal glands usually. Seems like when I start, most of the time that early, it's hard to catch him doing that, but I have seen him do it. That wide one I was telling you about, he did early. And these things will work scrapes even in velvet. They won't horn a tree or they won't like work the limbs. They don't want to mess their velvet up, but they will like the, the different glands, like the forehead gland and stuff. They can still put sand out, so they'll still work scrapes where they could put saliva out on them. So I had him in velvet. I didn't put sand out when I had him in velvet, but uh, I put sand out a little closer to when I was trying to kill that. Of course, then I shot that bear. but uh, I used estrus on him. I've used estrus on other ones early. I just basically, I want to see how they react to it, but I do like the buck scent too, though. I've used a lot of buck scent, and it's just, I don't know if there's a territorial scrape, if there's such a thing. I think there is because these, why else would these deer be making these signposts? You know, it makes sense to me that a big buck, would do that especially on the outside of where his core area is make that sign make that big rub or make that scrape and then put his scent on it so i have used buck scent a lot but the dough the dough estrus i just really as far as the situation i don't know maybe if i've got one that's i think this is where i would use it if i had one that was like not daylighting, but it's close to daylight. I would experiment see if I could pull that deer a little closer to daylight by using that esters or trying buck scent. Just experimenting with it, basically. If I don't have him, you know, if I got him close to daylight, but he's not quite daylighting, I might try him with some esters and see if I can get him. See if I can get daylight picture of him. I did that to one in January, <clears throat> January one time, and uh, I would have killed him. Could have killed him it was actually way I say January is it December is when I did it. It was late December. It was a big 10 point. And I finally got that deer under me and he had dropped both sides, had two big spots on his head. I know it was the same deer. He had real dark hawks, real front of his legs were real dark, but there was another real mature eight point in there that was using two. And I ended up killing him about a week later on that scrape. But, uh, um, I went in there and hosed that thing down with some doe estrus in late December. And it was funny cause he showed up, I left after I sprayed that thing down. It was like less than 20 minutes later. That thing was up there working that scrape after I got down out of the stand and walked out. And then from then on, I had you know several pictures of him. It was still like right on the cusp of dark. But when I finally saw him, it was daylight, but he dropped both sides which is kind of funny, strange. His testosterone level, evidently. That's what they say dictates when they drop their horns. But he was definitely working that scrape when he sloughed off that eight-point picked up on it and it ended up killing him at the end of December. It was a mature deer. it just didn't have big horns as a pinpoint.
0: So you mentioned the last episode we did with you about using the estrus, And again, we had a ton of comments come in about this because you're talking about... I mean, you've experimented with it as early as like late Oct- or late uh, August, putting some out, and putting some out in September and October, you know, well, well, well before the rut ever would take place, and just like the luck you've had from a curiosity of a buck coming in there and start daylighting more on those scrapes, but one thing that I'm curious, you mentioned sick wick, or scent wicks, and we had uh, listeners write in whether they wanted to know, are you just dumping the scent directly into the scrape? Are you spraying it? Or are you using scent wicks? Or are you using drippers? What, what typically do you do, or what have you done in the past and seen success with?
2: If I don't have a wick, I'll just put it on the leaves, and then I'll make a little kind of a pond in the scrape after I clean it up. I'll pour it in that, or like I'll take a leaf, and I'll lay it in that little pond I've made in the soil, and I'll pour it up there where it pulls up on that leaf and stays there for a while. I'll do that. But if I get one, if I get one I know I'm on a hunt, I'm going to have some kind of scent wick in there usually. Or I don't have to touch anything. I just go up there and I just dip it in the bottle. I just take it straight up, dip it in the bottle, and let it drip, drip, drip in the scrape. And put it in there, drip, 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 drip. I'll let it drip off the wick and get all over the ground and be on the wick each time I go in there. That's how I do that. <clears throat> I've used different stuff. I mean, of course, I've done it for years, so I've used, scrape drippers back in the day had some luck with them but just like the trail cameras I got to hang those scrape drippers and the bear come through there and they'd rip those things down even like you know late October middle October you try to put a scrape dripper up here come big old bear swipe it right off the limb. so I kind of quit using those and just going in and uh, hitting them like I said Pulling it up there on the leaf, laying it there on the ground and putting it on the wick and letting it drip into the scrape. Nothing fancy. Usually put quite a bit of that out too. And, uh, if I'm going in there pretty regularly, it's not as big a deal, but I know I'm going to be two or three days before I go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it pretty heavy percent. But like I said, it's all an experiment. I mean, different deer are different. Everybody knows that. They've got different personalities. They act different. You just got to, you really got to experiment with it. That's how I do. So, Drew,
1: um, me and Jacob are fighting over questions over here. Uh, let's say you have a buck who is kind of right there on the cusp of daylight, and you're talking about you're wanting to experiment and see if you can get him to start coming out a little bit earlier or later to, to get him in daylight. And then once you get a daylight picture of him, you know it's time to go. So, I'm wondering like practically what does that look like so like he's he's coming in he's not quite in daylight you go freshen up the scrape you put your scent in there and then all of a sudden you get a daylight picture of him are you like i don't know i don't know if you're using cell cameras or what but are you just are you just the next time you go back in there you're just going to use scent while you're hunting it or are you going to try to like prep that spot and and run in there and put a bunch of scent up like a day or two before and then go hunt it
2: yeah, I'm going to put it up as soon as I go in there. If I go in there that morning, that eight point I killed, that thing hit that scrape. I can't remember how many times. I don't even know if I still got these pictures. But that thing hit that scrape. I'm going to say four mornings in a row at like 7.20 to 7.30 in the morning, four mornings in a row. Where I had the 10 point that dropped his horns and ended up killing the eight point. That thing hit that scrape four mornings in a row. After I put that scent in there, but this is in January, it wasn't early season, but same difference. It's just on the other side of the spectrum there. <clears throat> but yeah, I went in there and put scent when I go in there and hunt, I'd freshen it up really good and then I'd crawl in that tree and sit there and wait. And I killed him on a foggy evening too. I it's funny, I had him that many times in that scrape, but I went in there real early one morning, like I was trying to get in there before he got there and I jumped that dude and spooked. And it took me like a, it was a week before I think it was right at a week before I finally killed that deer. He was bedded like 30 yards from that scrape. That eight point was. And I, after that, he just, he was still using it, but he went nocturnal on me. And, uh, I ended up killing him on a weather change. I had a pretty good weather. It was just bluebird skies for several days. And then all of a sudden I had a light fog and a rain come in. And I got in there and killed him on that evening. Coming to that scrape. He was a smart deer though. Because he came in straight from where I thought he would come from. Came up the side of a ridge up above a bluff. And he came up there and there was a treetop. It was a... Uh, kind of downhill from that scrape and he walked up there and got almost in that treetop and stood there for probably 15 minutes and I wondered what he's doing I finally figured out what he's doing he was waiting for the wind to shift he wanted the wind to shift a different direction before he made the next move finally it shifted and I felt it hit me on the side of the face and it must have pushed it down at the same time because when it did he smelled me and he took off running and went about 45 yards on a big hillside and He made the mistake, though, and stuck his shoulder out from behind a big old black oak. I launched that arrow and hit him right through the heart. But uh, it took him a week to come back in daylight hours on that scrape after I spooked him. After coming in there probably three or four mornings in a row at 720 to 730. But, yeah, I used estrus on that scrape, and it was in January. Killed that one.
0: Yeah. One thing that's been interesting about this conversation, I'm, I'm sure listeners and also the viewers have picked up on is, you know, the application of how you're targeting these bucks on scrapes, you know, well in the early season of bow season through the pre-rut and then kind of that post-rut time period. Um, it doesn't seem like we really, you really talk about the scrapes a whole bunch come the rut, even though I know it plays a, a little bit of a factor for you because you get videos out there on it, kind of catching bucks, cruising through, not at the scrape, but coming yeah. by and getting shot opportunities. Um, when, when it comes to the, uh, well, actually, before I answer that, one other question guys asked us, and uh, a lot of times,
2: a lot of times this year, I go, a lot of times, a lot of times the rut is pushed back. Your early season will be, it'll still be kind of early season in early November. Sometimes, I don't know if it's because of moon phase or what, but, uh, a lot of times the early season will go into early November. It'll be just like you're hunting. A, it ain't even quite the pre-rut. It's, it's weird. And then sometimes it'll, it'll kick off like November 4th through the 7th, 10th. And then other times it'll be on up in November before it really kicks off. And then you got years where there's a trickle or to that too. It's just a, you never really identify when they really got with those. Cause you just, I went years before where I've never even seen a buck chasing a doe until November 25th. <clears throat> so that can come into play too. on Timing on that, whether or not you got to figure out, you know, kind of what phase you're actually in and what the deer are actually doing as far as what phase the rut's in.
0: <clears throat> so let me ask you this, uh, cause this is a situation that, I've kind of got running through my mind because I know of a spot that sets up for this where there is already a big, uh, like a primary, or you'd call it a community scrape, uh, in a thicket, a pine thicket. And I've, I've tried to hunt it before. Actually, when I found it, the first year I found it, I think it was back in 2020 or 2021, uh, walked in, there was a water oak sapling that was probably maybe two or three inches in diameter at the base, you know, probably was 12 feet tall. And these pines are a little bit, these pines are bigger, uh, but it's still extremely thick underneath. And those deer had worked that scrape. And I actually was messing with that scraping uh, with that tree. And I was trying to break down a couple other limbs in order to give uh, the bucks more options because there was just one limb sitting there. And it was a calm bluebird day, no wind, just straight thermals. And while I was doing that, a buck, what I presume was a buck, jumps up probably 60 yards from me, 50 yards from me, and runs towards me. When I'm thrashing this tree, trying to break this limb with one hand while I got my bow laying on the ground. And I hear this running, this loud commotion. Like again, antlers going through the trees, and I now like grab my bow, knock an arrow, kneel down, and I can see legs coming underneath. I can see underneath like some of this thick stuff. I can see legs coming towards me, and uh, it got to twenty-five yards. I just I could not see what it was, and I could I could barely even see the bottom of his brisket, and it turned blue and just went right back out of there. Um, again, assuming it was a buck bedded close, thinking probably another buck was in there messing with that scrape. But where I bring this up is, it's in a spot. I tried to hunt that scrape a couple like maybe four or five days later. And uh, kind of that late pre-rut time period. And it was so thick. And it's not necessarily hard to get into. But the deer can truly come for 360 degrees around you. So it it made it. I didn't see any deer in the morning. I sat it. But one thing I was asking is, have you had situations where you find an unbelievable scrape, but it's in a really hard spot to hunt because of access or how deer can come in on you? And you try to open up a mock scrape in the vicinity but close to a way a spot that you can get in a lot more clean that still pinches those deer down to you
2: yeah that one i told you about there last time it was kind of like that i i didn't want to hunt up the hill any further than i was because i knew i could potentially miss a big deer coming down below so i put that mock scrape in there's actually more scrapes above me and i kind of monitored those though and it seemed like they were, they opened them up, but it would be several days before there'd be another deer come back through. There. I think they were coming through there. And like I said, maybe going around them, they were obviously weren't going to the scrape because it was starting to fill up the leaves. At least if they were, they weren't hitting the, they weren't pawing the ground. They were just hitting overhead limbs. So I bumped down the hill and I made that one over It was more convenient for me and Lo and behold, I end up getting multiple bucks using that one scrape. It's actually a better spot for a scrape as far as the way the trail systems work in there. And the way the does travel. It's it's got more deer activity there and it's got those low hanging limbs off of that tree. It was just an ideal spot for it. So I put the thing in. But like you said, it it was rocky right there where I put that scrape in. I had to I had to really pull some rocks out of the ground and that's probably why they weren't scraping there, honestly. It may have been too rocky, because it was really rocky. But like I said, I pulled them out of the ground. I made a big soft spot right there. and made a big one right there under a limb, and uh, went wasn't long. Boom, I went back in there after, I think it was three or four days after the rain. That thing was wide open. There had been lots of activity in it. Checked the card, and bingo, had bucks on it. Yeah, and they were on it ever. they were on it from then till I killed that dude.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I was
2: putting sin. I was I was putting sin in it too, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Every time I'd go in.
0: Yeah, this spot's kind of sets up similar to yours, as in kind of how you're talking about. Like this, this scrape's kind of going down a secondary point in this thicket, and kind of opposite from instead of going lower because there's a lot of tra- there's I think five trails that cross right there at that that scrape. But coming up, there's a ditch next to it that, that kind of heads out in this thicket. There's always a big scrape right there, but it's never as impressive as that, 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 um, that water oak scrape. And this area is a spot, like if you get in a tree, you can't get more than six feet up. So I, I may just do a ground blind setup or just some kind of like sit on the ground aspect for bow hunting in there. But where I can catch these deer kind of coming around the head of that ditch, because they always do that anyways... But put a scrape right there but makes it more convenient from an access standpoint and from a shooting standpoint right there Versus getting down that thick stuff because even on top of that little ridge it's thick but it's not nearly as thick like i i could see in that spot i could see and shoot probably 25 30 yards maybe maybe 35 yards in that spot versus down there where that scrapes at like you can't shoot past 15 yards there um but it's still within 50 to 60 yards of where that primary scrapes located uh, so I've always kind of thought about that. And it kind of goes back to something else that you've brought up, talking about with the rising moon and setting moon and also moon overhead, you know, those kind of movement patterns there. What is your take on hunting a scrape in the morning versus the, in the evening? Because, you know, you could have that buck, you know, sh- you know, show up on that scrape 30 minutes before daylight, uh, but you're not catching them in the evenings. And then you could have the flip side where you catch them 30 minutes, 45 minutes after dark, and, you know, it's probably a little bit easier to catch them coming out a little bit earlier there. What is your take on hunting scrapes in the morning versus the evening, especially throughout this season?
2: Killed them both. I seem to have a little bit better luck in the evenings on them. Bow hunting. Seems like if you get closer to the rut, sometimes maybe the morning's a little bit better or start seeing a little bit more activity, scrape activity, closer to the <clears throat> rut in the morning. I'd have to go back and look and think some of the ones I've killed. But uh, I don't hunt them much during the rut, but I know the ones I have killed that are during the rut are like between those where you kind of got that lull. That's been kind of more of a morning thing, seems like. It's been both, but it seems like maybe a little bit more in the morning <clears throat> during that time. But as far as now, I I, they like that low light condition when they come out. You hear that they're, you know, seventy percent nocturnal. You know, there's not much time there in the morning, and you're liable to spook them because you're liable when you're going in there. They're liable to be in that scrape and you're trying to slip in there. But in the evening, you're going in there, you know, when it's hot, you're getting there plenty early, and then he's able to come in there and travel under that low light condition. Hit that scrape. It's kind of the way I look at it as far as morning and evenings because they just, those big mature deer, they love, they like the low light when it comes to getting outside their core area or starting to get up and move and if you're going to kill them and they're not right there, you know, close to their bed, that's probably your best chance. Now, if you got like a really good weather situation or you got a you know, a front, backside of a front, or if you've got so many days it's been stagnant and you've got that weather change and it happens to be in the morning, yeah, getting that stand that morning because that's – you're liable to have just as good a chance in the morning to kill them. So it kind of depends on conditions and situation there. But the low light and uh, weather really is what I look at.
0: And when you mean low light, it's both with the setting sun, overcast conditions, but also potential vegetation cover? like those beach or anything like that, that kind of shades out and gives them a little bit more low light to travel through.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of these deer up here in the mountains, you'll kill them in late season. Their horns will be just as dark as they were in late October. Unlike in the Midwest where they're bedding out CRP and the sun's hitting them all day long. You can definitely tell they live in some snarf holes around here. And they like that thick. I mean, there's other cover too. Like I said, the beach it holds its leaves all through the winter, and it just creates a, a heck of a cover for them. It's almost like they're in a clear cut. And a lot of these little benches, a lot of these narrow benches have got beach on them. And when the hunting pressure gets on, that's where they're going to move. If they were moving out in the wide open where everybody was sitting with a rifle watching them wide open, benches and tops, they'd all be dead.
0: Drew, before, I've got another uh, kind of set of questions I want to ask you. uh kind of refers to like kind of later season post-rut scrape hunting. Uh, but is there anything that we've missed kind of in the conversation about scrapes, mock scrapes, scents, and everything that you've kind of, you know, been doing for a while? Is there anything that we've missed that's probably important for us to kind of really touch on?
2: Oh, not that I can think of. I'm sure there's probably something. But uh, The main thing is that it kind of blows my mind is how many I want to go over it again. When you've got that camera on that scrape, you don't know how many deer are coming in bow range of that scrape that you're not getting on camera. That's the take home point there I'd give on that because I used to struggle with it. I'd get a, I wouldn't get that many pictures of a but actually in that scrape, but I'd have a few. But you're thinking, you're thinking in your mind, well, is it enough to go in there and hunt that deer? Sometimes, most of the time, it is if you've got those daylight pictures of him because he's not going to come to that thing every single time. Not even the buck that made that scrape. I've seen the bucks that I think that have made the scrape, that I've had pictures originally making the scrape, circle the scrape, go around the scrape. And they may have other scrapes that are close to it that they hit, but like that big deer, I just – I've had enough experience with it over the years that I had confidence enough to stay in there on that deer. Even though I didn't have a ton of pictures of him, it didn't bother me that I didn't have a lot of pictures of him in that, in that scrape. I just basically had that camera out to see what the activity level was in there and how many does were coming through there. Cause I had does hitting that scrape too. And I wanted to see when other bucks started to get up and move and come through that area. Cause I didn't have that many other bucks other than him when I had him on camera. And when I started seeing the other bucks, things ramped up right then, quick. And I knew that's when I needed to be in there. I was like, I can't miss. I've got to be in there hunting this from now until when I kill him because the time's right. So I stayed with it. Like I said, I had that one on video. You can see it on my video. It was a really good deer. He came up and he winded that scrape. You can watch that deer wind that scrape and go around it. And he is not on my truck anymore. But I have him on video walking twenty three steps by me.
0: got I get so many other questions. Um uh, l- l- let me let me say this. Um with the application of uh introducing scents to these scrapes, whether it's a, a mock scrape or it's a pre existing scrape, both buck scents, uh, and then also, you know, your doe and estrus is there ever a time is there ever a time you'll select one over the other? Like if you've you know, mess around with the estrus and you're getting some good responses, would you go in there and and also put up some bucks in as well? Would you ever do a combination of the two or select one over the other in different situations when you think you're maybe closer to a buck's bedding area or core area?
2: Yeah, I've had it work in combination. I've used it in combination. i put both out at the same time before I had just as good results. Like I said, this is the best way I can describe it. It's one huge experiment because every deer is different. You just go out there and experiment. If you think it's a really dominant buck and you want to try that buck scent, go for it. But a lot of these scrapes, like I said, depending on where they are and what they are, you'll have multiple bucks using them, even in early season. Maybe not so much early season, but sometimes even early season, you'll have different bucks. And that might be enough to trigger something. You can test that. Try the estrus if that doesn't try both of them together and put that camera on a low interval or you can get multiple pictures or if you want to like you said run on video mode you might get more data out of that <clears throat> but you just hear so much about scrapes about you know oh it's all it's mostly nighttime. it's this or it's that or you get these breeding scrapes or this or that i mean it's it, you got to experiment for yourself that's the best advice i would give and because every particular deer is different experiment with each scrape and each deer and just see what kind of reaction you get and go from there that is that's kind of what i've done that's how i've tackled it
0: yeah drew as a point of wrapping up what would be your advice for people to implement uh mock scrapes and hunting scrapes in the post rut you know you already mentioned a few times about you know january late december post rut having success you know catching bucks checking scrapes what would be your advice there and what people should pay attention to because a lot of guys like myself typically when the when the rut's done here we'll just travel a different part of alabama where the rut's just now starting to kick in and try to find more rutting deer but you know if a guy doesn't have that opportunity or he's in a state where you know they don't have the variability in ruts you know how does he go about having success post rut using scrapes
2: i'd probably go where the does are first look at the food sources see where the feed sign is and see a lot of times they'll open up big scrape lines if you've got food everywhere they'll just open put them up on benches and sides of ridges and everywhere else but go in there where you've got does and where you've got some feed sign and where there's a lot of deer activity and see if there's any scrapes existing and if there is then you can make the determination of whether or not you want to offset, and put a scrape where you want it to be or implement sin or whatever. If there's not, then go ahead and implement a mock scrape and put sin in it and see what you get. <clears throat> because those late season deer, it, it definitely becomes more about food in the late season. They'll concentrate more on food. <clears throat> and that'll be does and bucks. But the bucks, a lot of times in late season, they will just become ghosts until they... Make some kind of sign like a scrape until you, you know, identify where they're at. Cause it's just, I've been out so many times where we've had a good mass crop in late season. If it wasn't for that, you wouldn't even know there was a buck in existence. They just fall off the face of the earth pretty much. Yeah, man, you can't, but that's your one hope right there. Either kill them on a food source where there's not much food, say so there's no acorns at all, and you got a green patch, you're going to kill one. That's a really good time. Or you got a spot where, Acorns are dropping late. That's a good time. But uh, if it's if there's still a lot of food, you basically have to just drill down on that sign and try to find where he's, you know, they say they know before those come in a first time, second time, a third time. I think that's true because otherwise you wouldn't see all the sign popping up. It's almost like they know right before it happens. So if you've got that widespread food, just key in on the sign. if you got that isolated food, key in on the nose and find over there food and then look for the sign there. You have a little bit better chance that way as if it's widespread. But like I said, late season is tough. But that's one way to level the playing field with them in late season. Yeah, and
0: one, one last thing on that is that – you know, specifically that late season scraping activity, is that when you would implement a lot more of the estrus over just a, like a, a mature buck or a dominant buck scent?
2: Yeah, I have. I've used more estrus in late than I have buck scent. I kind of use it more early, pre-rut, but I've I've I had some young buck one time that I used in late season that seemed to work decent, but I've used the estrus quite a bit in late all those stories I told you there about the ones that I used it on. that was I used esters. I didn't even use bucks in it, it was all esters in uh, late December in January. <clears throat> mid to late December, early January time, along about that time period.
0: Awesome, Drew. One last thing, because I know I'm gonna get we're gonna get a lot of questions about it, and uh, I just would rather have you just answer it on the podcast. And if, mm-hmm. if they don't listen this far in the podcast, I'm going to refer them back to it because you're about to answer this question. Uh, do you have any specific brands of, of scents that you really like, or any specific types?
2: Yeah, I've used all different kinds. It's. uh like uh, Wildlife Research Center stuff? Special Gold master Special G. I've used that for years. It's uh I like the amber bottles. I don't like plastic bottles. I like the I like the amber bottles. It seems like it stays a little bit more fresh in the amber bottles. I don't even know if you can find them anymore, but I keep some that I used to use years ago and that's kinda what I put by sending in now. Seems like it just keeps better. I try not to keep it try to keep it out of hot, you know, conditions. I try to keep it pretty cool when I finally get it and get access to it. But uh I've used Buck Bomb. I've used uh, the buck, a lot of the buck scent I've used has been Buck Bomb. But yeah, I used to come out, I had that little small bottle. It was called Young Buck. I've used it some, and uh, there's actually a guy that I used to work with. They've got a, used to have a scent company and this is the way I kind of figured out how the thermals play. It's called Doe. It was Doe estrus and Doe P and Buck, but it was Bubbles. It was mixed with a slight degree of soap, and you blow bubbles, and those bubbles would go out and lay a scent trail out from your stand, and you could watch, you know, how the wind would affect the bubbles and all the thermals would play. So I don't even think they're in business anymore, but I used to use that a lot. I killed a really big buck one year with my bow came up right behind me. I was blowing those bubbles, and they were blowing – consistently at the head of this drain and all going to this one cedar tree and popping every one of them. And uh, about 8.30 in the morning, here comes a monster eight point up there and where he go? Straight to that cedar tree where all those bubbles pop. I shot him at uh, 21 yards. <clears throat> but I learned a lot from those bubbles about how the thermals and how the wind swirls and stuff up here on different spots. <clears throat> but yeah, buck bombs, Special golden asterisk. I hadn't really messed with the tanks that much. I used to use it a long time ago. It's kind of got a, I don't know. I've heard people say it works really well, but it smells pretty raunchy to me. It's a lot of, I don't know if it's the plastic bottle or what. but it Seems like the Wildlife Research wildlife research Center stuff and that old amber bottle, it just, it's got a pretty pure smell to it that's kind of what i usually stick with awesome well uh drew where can people follow along with you uh only thing i've got is that youtube channel i've got a facebook page me and my wife have got a facebook page but uh yeah, direct and outdoors on youtube
0: yeah highly recommend it guys go check it out you can watch a ton of these different hunts that he's talked about the last few episodes on the podcast but drew greatly appreciate you spending an absolute ton of time with us right an hour. And 45 minutes or so so greatly appreciate you uh taking time out of your day in order to do this and listeners if you've enjoyed this episode make sure you go share it with some buddies but also make sure you share the, the video podcast really enjoy the video podcast guys hopefully y'all have enjoyed it as well then also go leave us a five-star written review on apple podcast and also you can do it on spotify as well so drew greatly appreciate you joining us for this week's episode man uh, hopefully you can you know put a tag on that ten pointer or one of these other bucks come up very very soon and if you do, uh, I, I'll guarantee the listeners will hear about it at uh, at some point in the near future. So, Drew, thank you for joining us, brother, and have a great rest of your season. Okay.
2: Yep, y'all be same.
1: Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.